0: That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Matthew 2223 to 33. And all the ladies in the house said, amen, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Any woman that's been through seven husbands deserves to have a rest for eternity, right?
1: Kind of reminds me of that old song, uh, Henry VIII. I am Henry VIII, I am, I am. Yeah, older people in the congregation will get that. <laughs> um, so uh, last Sunday afternoon, uh, Sarah and me and James uh, watched Back to the Future. Um, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the movie, uh, but for those of you who are not, the basic storyline is, is that you've got this teenager. Marty McFly, who's made himself a friend of this crazy scientist named Dr. Emmett Brown. Um, He's crazy, but he's also a genius because he's managed to make a time travel machine out of a DeLorean. Um, Through a series of unfortunate events, Marty finds himself driving the DeLorean until he is zapped back in time to 1955 people in 1955 find him to be a very odd figure, since he's coming from the 80s, uh, with his puffy coat that looks like a life jacket, uh, his skateboard skills, and his hard rock music. It's fun to imagine what it would be like to go back in time like that. I mean, imagine going back in time to 1955 and trying to explain the internet to somebody. Or how about, explaining air and space travel to someone in 1555. It would be really difficult for them to imagine such things. They probably think that you're crazy. But that wouldn't make what you're saying any less true. We know what the world has become, even if they couldn't comprehend it. In Matthew 22, verses 23-33, through I think we find Jesus in a position similar to Marty McFly. Now, you'll recall that um, after shaming the the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem after going to the temple and telling parables that was basically condemning the Pharisees and the elders of the people, um, that they decided they were going to finally try to trip up Jesus and get him good. And um, last week we talked about how the Pharisees sent some of their disciples along with the Herodians to try to trip up Jesus on the question of whether they should pay taxes to Caesar. And uh, to their amazement, uh, Jesus managed to thread the needle um, by telling them there is no necessary conflict um, between Caesar and God in the matter of paying taxes because God ordains... Uh, good government. Um, Turns out that that wasn't going to be the only time that day in which someone was going to come to Jesus trying to trip him up with a question. It says here uh, in verse 23 that that same day the Sadducees went to Jesus um, in order to try to trip him up with a tricky question. Now the question that they pose to Jesus is particularly connected to their uni- unique set of beliefs as Sadducees. The Sadducees um, were a sect uh, of the Jewish faith that denied the resurrection of the body. In fact, they denied any sort of afterlife. Um, and in Acts three eight, it says that they denied the existence of angels and spirits. Um, and this set them apart from the Pharisees, because the Pharisees believed in all, all these things. They believed in the resurrection of the body. They believed in the existence of angels and spirits. Um, so for the Sadducees, it's just you live, you die, that's it. God exists. You can have a relationship with God while you're living, but after you die, that's it. That's um, So the question that they pose to Jesus begins by referring to the teaching of Moses that if a man dies without having children, that his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Um, And this is taken from uh, Deuteronomy 25, um, verses 5 through 6. I'm just trying to find my clicker. Placed. All right. You guys will just have to pay attention to the verses that I'm referring to. Um, where it says If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother in law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Um, so, this is called uh, uh, Leveret marriage. It's the law in which, um, as Moses instructed here, that a, a brother is to marry um, uh, his brother's widow if they have not had any children to carry on uh, his brother's name. And that whole idea kind of strikes us as patriarchal. Like, why, why is that so, so important? Um, But if you go further on in that chapter, they they do make provisions in which um, that arrangement doesn't have to be fulfilled. Um, But it's also important just to realize that we live in a very different culture and different time and place. So things that might sound awful to us um, actually sounded like a pretty decent arrangement to people of that time and, and actually to women. Um, when you go to Genesis 38, we find the story of Tamar who had this very situation occur. Her husband died, hadn't had any children, and her brother-in-laws refused to properly marry her. Um, and I won't get into all the details of that story, but if you just read it, she's very desperate to get married and to carry on the, the name of her uh, deceased husband. Um, and so, I think that kind of shows us a couple of things. Is one is that um, f- for the women of that time, that was actually something that was valued to them. If they, if they loved, if they, especially if they loved their husbands, that they would want to see the husband whom they loved for his name to live on. But also, um, we have to recognize that um, women during this time, um, particularly women who were childless um, and who are widows. Um, would have gone forward the rest of their lives with little to no social support. Um, they didn't have the kind of governmental structures that we have today. There wasn't um, a lot of like middle-income jobs for women. It was just either you either were married and you were supported by your husband and their family, um, or you were really dependent on the charity of others. So there's a really big incentive to get married. Um, and so that's the whole rationale behind behind this law. Um, and hopefully that kind of helps you kind of wrap your mind around it. Um, so the Sadducees use this expectation to create a problem for the belief in the resurrection of the dead. They say, well, if you have to follow this law in, in which, you know, one brother marries after another, and actually you could just take this into other circumstances in which, you know, a woman loses her husband and then she just marries other other men who are um, not related, um, you'd find the same problem. What happens when they're resurrected? Who is the woman really married to? How do you sort that out? Now, remember, this isn't a problem for the Sadducees because they don't believe in any kind of afterlife. You die and that's it. Um, So it seems like they've come up with a real tricky question that might finally stump Jesus. Looking to verses 29 to 33, we see that it actually poses no challenge to Jesus at all. Um, The fundamental problem that Jesus identifies is cited in verse 29. He tells them, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures, or the power of God. So the problem is is that they don't know Scripture and they do not know the power of God. So working backwards, first considering the power of God. Um, in verse 30, he says, "At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. That's something that's uh, kind of difficult to imagine, but um, in going to this, Jesus is basically saying, your problem is no problem at all, because there is going to be no marriage, because we're going to be like the angels. Now, there's, you have to kind of pay careful attention to the words here. Jesus is not saying that we're going to become angels. He's, gonna, he's saying that we're going to become like angels in that, angels do not marry. You don't have Mr. and Mrs. Angel. (laughs) Um, They're all single. Um, So, what this suggests is that we're going to be undergoing a radical transformation at our resurrection when our bodies are raised and we're living in the new creation. So, what will that life look like? I mean, what does it mean to anticipate the transformation of our bodies. Well, Paul kind of gives us a glimpse of it in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you want to know what the future looks like, if that's something that kind of uh, piques your, your curiosity, pay attention. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 50. We've got that verse. Um, and this will be two slides, guys, so just pay attention to that. Paul says, but someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as He is determined. And to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from stars and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, peri- sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. So it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, referring to Christ, a life giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's a lot to take in there. But... Paul really uses a pretty intuitive example, I think, in speaking of a seed. No one plants a seed in the ground to just take a seed back out of it. You plant a seed in the ground in order that something new and transformed would would be produced from that seed. What Paul is saying is the same is true for us. We're all going to die But like seeds, we enter the ground, and when we are raised from the dead, we will not be the same. We will be transformed. We will have spiritual bodies. It sounds like a contradiction in terms, because we usually juxtapose those two, spirit or body. And it's difficult to imagine, but whatever it exactly looks like, it's the synthesis of of heaven and earth. It's a new kind of body that's fitted out for a new way of life. And and maybe that sounds a little scary or freaky um, to you, um, but it shouldn't be, because we're going to continue being human beings, but we will have been perfected. And if you want to have an idea of what our bodies will look like, you just have to look like you just have to look at Jesus, because our, our bodies will be like Jesus' body was made when he was raised from the dead, because he is the first fruit of the resurrection. Um, we look at Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21, if you can put that up. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, we're gonna that's that's what we're looking forward to. We're gonna be made just like Jesus. So, getting back though to marriage, this idea that when we die and then are resurrected, that we're going to be made like the angels, and so we aren't going to have those marital relationships anymore. That whole prospect may seem kind of like a sad thing, especially for those of us who are in a happy marriage. We enjoy our marriage relationships. um, And so we have to kind of confess that it's, it's something that's difficult to kind of look forward to. And I've, I've talked with, I've had conversations like this before, really trying to wrestle, you know, what does that mean? I mean, I feel like I'd be sad if I wasn't be able to have that relationship with my wife, and I'm sure vice versa for, for the rest of you. Um, but the thing that we should understand about the age to come is that we are most certainly not going to be without love. But rather, we're going to live in the society of God, in the city of God, in relationships with others in which love has been perfected. In which that which has come has transcended that which was before. And maybe the... This might be too low of an example, but it kind of makes me think of uh, of appetizers before a meal. Now I don't know about you, but I really enjoy the chips and salsa before a meal. I'm like, you don't don't take those away from me. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this, and they're a good thing. Chips and salsa is a good thing. But we sit down, we go out to eat for more than chips and salsa. We go out to get that beautiful entree. Um, maybe a savory steak or a delicious chicken parmesan. I'll start making your old s- stomach stir growling. <laughs> um, but the idea is that the, the chips are good, but they're making their way, they're just preparing the way for this fuller meal. And so in the same way, our earthly marriages are really preparing the way for that perfection of love that is to appear in the age to come. And in fact, you could even say, I think that a good marriage is actually a great picture of the age to come, the sort of love that is going to be shared um, among all. So this then brings us to Jesus' charge that the Sadducees don't know Scripture. They they underestimate God's power to change us, to transform us, but they also don't know the scriptures which indicate that resurrection is going to come. Now, Jesus could have pointed them to many scriptures, and uh, I've got several that are going to appear on the screen here. Um, We see in Isaiah, in Isaiah 26, 18 through 19, um, in verse 19 particularly, The prophet says, But your dead will live, Lord, their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel 12, and verse 2. It says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And Ezekiel 37, Um, We have uh, the image of dry bones being brought back to life. Um, And it's kind of an image that's being used for the return of God's people to Israel. But it also ties into this theme of resurrection. It says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. And in the Psalms, we see much of the same. That... um, while the man who trusts in his riches will be left over to death, um, in Psalm forty nine fifteen, 15, um, the one who trusts in God says, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me, me to himself. Um, and then in Psalm 16, uh, the psalmist says, then my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one See decay. So, throughout the Old Testament, there's all these indications that death is not the end, that there is, in fact, a resurrection hope. Now, Jesus could have referred to all these verses, but the problem is is that the Sadducees only respected the Pentateuch, the first five books. Of the Bible. And if you notice, all those verses that I referenced were not from the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus decides to play by their rules and he goes to the Pentateuch. In verse 31, he says, Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, the verse that Jesus is referring to here appears in Exodus, which is in the Pentateuch. Exodus 3.6. Um, when Moses was confronted by God um, in the form of the burning bush, God tells Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it says Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This declaration of God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a report of the covenant that God had made with those patriarchs, the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. And uh, I'm not going to read all the details of these verses, but um, you guys can just cycle, just put them all up there. Throughout the book of Genesis, we see God making this covenant with Abraham that he's going to give the promised land to Abraham and to his offspring. And then you guys go to the next slide. We see that the same is renewed and given to Isaac and to Jacob as well. Um, And in some ways, in their lifetime or in the lifetimes of their children, God does fulfill this promise because the Israelites did come to dwell in the promised land and yet if you know this narrative of the Old Testament there was a few pieces missing they never completely drove out the Canaanites from the land um, and they never dwelt in complete total security um, because of their own sinfulness it was no fault of of God Um, and And so there's a sense in which the promise has only been partially filled. It hasn't been completely filled yet. And we see in the book of Hebrews that this reality is is testified to. In Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10, the of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And then you go through the rest of Hebrews 11. It talks about all these Old Testament saints who exhibited great faith. And then you get down to verse 39. It says, These were all commended, for their faith, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us, they would be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews is saying is that there was more to come. That this promise of inheritance still had more to be fulfilled to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. And so with these promises in the background, God's statement that he is the God of, Abraham, a God, of, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, takes on a bit of a different light. It indicates that he's presently their God, even though they're dead. But as Jesus points out here, God is God of the living. How can it be said that he's, he's the God of these, of these dead guys? Well, he can be their God if they are, in fact, alive. If he, in fact, he, if he has, in fact, upheld his promise to them. Now, of course, this is a little bit difficult for us to swear because we do know that they have died. And so in what sense are they alive? Well, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, um, in which this whole interaction is also recorded, we have this additional detail that's included that I think helps illuminate for us how this is possible. In Luke 20, 38, Jesus says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to Him all are alive. For to Him, all are alive. How are all alive to God? All are alive to God because of the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is an irrefutable reality that is present to God that only we cannot yet see. And perhaps to kind of use an imperfect analogy, I've got an image up here, of a sketch. Um, A table, it's notepad with sketches on it. We can imagine God as being kind of the artist or the engineer, whatever you would have for for this sketch. Um, He can see the whole picture. He can see how everything's laid out, what it's going to be. But for ourselves, we do not have that position in which all of this is present at once. We exist on the two-dimensional plane on the paper. We cannot see what is to come. And so it can be said that the reality of resurrection is in fact present to God. That in fact, in the eyes of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive because God is eternally present in all places and at all times. This starts to get into kind of some of the the back-to-the-future stuff, Um, talking about time travel. But this is the reality of God. He's not like a human being. He stands outside of space and time. Now, Matthew says that Jesus' response to the Sadducees astonished the crowd. They were impressed with him, even if most of them didn't believe. Luke says that even some of the teachers of the law exclaimed, Well said, Teacher! Jesus' teaching is here is striking because it continues to defy our own modern day forms of Sadducean belief. There are lots of people who deny there is any afterlife, resurrected or otherwise. There is an even larger amount of people who believe in an afterlife, but deny that it involves our bodies being resurrected. Lots of people think that we're just going to die and just kind of go on forever af- after as spirits. And this notion goes all the way back to the philosopher Plato. Um, many people think that this is a great thing that, that, that to escape the body. They think that the body is a bad thing that we should want to escape. But this is not a Christian belief. It has no basis in Scripture. God has revealed again and again that He means to restore everything. He's going to transform the heavens, the earth, and our bodies. Paul makes it clear in second, makes this clear in 2 Corinthians 5. 4. It says, For while we are still in this tent, we're talking about this body, we groan being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is immortal may be swallowed up by life. The weary burdens of our current bodies are to lead us not to wish that we would have no body, but rather that we would be further clothed that our mortal bodies would take on immortal form. As Daniel 12 tells us, everyone will be resurrected, but not everyone will have everlasting life. To have everlasting life, we must put our faith in Christ. We must be baptized. We must be joined to Him. Paul tells us it works like this in Romans 6, verses 4 through 5. He says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There is a better age that awaits us. This earth will turn a new leaf when Christ returns. Love will be perfected. We will move from the appetizer to the feast. It will be ours to enjoy for all eternity. I hope that you will be there. To be there, all you must do is abandon your sin, abandon your rebellion, and believe in Him. And you too will live in the everlasting age to come, which will follow the day of our resurrection. Let us pray. Dear Father, we praise You for Your goodness to us, that You do not abandon us to death, but rather, You have desired to redeem and restore us through Jesus Christ, so that we would not be be slaves to death, Father, or be subjected forever to these corrupted bodies, but that we would have the hope of a new life to come in which our bodies are restored and we get to live with You forever. Father, we confess that it is difficult for us to imagine what that life will look like. And Father, we confess that it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around the idea of there being no marriage. But Father, we trust that something better awaits us. That the good bit of love that we've enjoyed in our marital relations will be perfected in that new world so that love will be complete between us and you, and among each other, as we've been made one body in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this hope and assurance. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon I offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situit Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.